1: It is Monday, May 9th, and you are listening to another edition of the West of the Rest podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast feed. My name is Blair Angulo, joined by my co-host, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. And Huff, you and I were just together this past weekend, but we drifted apart to tend to our mothers.
0: Tend to our wives, and you know, yours was celebrating her first Mother's Day. Mine was celebrating her, I think, 19th Mother's Day. and. Very, very similar gifts, very similar meals. It's almost like you and I uh, are on the same page there, Blair.
1: Yeah, we had a nice little blueprint there. Get home early on a Sunday after covering an event throughout the weekend. And we're going to get into that in in the second half of this podcast. The second annual Team Paula, Team OFA, Lineman Challenge, Media Day event, as well as a uh, 7-on-7 tournament out in Salt Lake City. Uh, But we did follow that similar blueprint. Get home early on Sunday. Make sure you show your face on Mother's Day give them apple products which everyone loves i feel like uh and give them italian food which everyone loves i feel like so very easy first mother's day so we'll see how i have to change things up next year i went with old reliable i feel like
0: stick to the script man it's like a offensive coordinator script in the first 10 plays you know what if it's working just keep running that until it doesn't work anymore
1: Halftime adjustments though is is where, is where I get into some, some, some trouble or, or even that second drive of the game, right? Where you kind of have to figure out, okay, how are they going to make adjustments to me? What are they going to expect? I have to keep her on her toes now, right? So she's going to maybe expect this and that. So next year we'll see what I come up with. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about UCLA, uh, on this podcast. This is the West of the Rest after all, where we focus mostly on West Coast recruiting and we'll touch on that here in a little bit, but let's kick off with a very familiar tune that you and I have been singing for the last few years. A player from the West Coast headed to the SEC. That would be Jabari Johnson, four-star quarterback, the number 15 overall quarterback in the country, according to the 24-7 sports rankings. Six feet, 200 pounds out of Lincoln High School in Tacoma, Washington. Commits to Missouri, Huff, and, and this is, I think, a player that Isn't in the top twenty four seven, but could easily be in the top twenty four seven. Has been very impressive his first few years of high school football, and I think if it weren't for some of the other players at the quarterback position that we talk and talk and talk about time and time after time, it seems like this is a player who maybe three four years down the road lighting up the SEC. I, I would not be surprised if that happens.
0: Well, not at all, and you know, again. They've been in the SEC for, what, 11, 12 years now, and it's still hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that Missouri is in the SEC, but they've been to a couple of SEC championship games. There have been teams that have been in the SEC for a long time that haven't even been to the SEC championship game, but it was actually... Some familiar faces to the West Coast and and specifically to the Northwest. Former Boise State Office Coordinator Eli Drinkwitz is not the head coach at Missouri. He's has been for a number of years. And then Bush Hamden, the former University of Washington Office Coordinator, now coaching on staff at Missouri. He was the one that was primarily the recruiter of Jabari Johnson. Took him out or, or got him out to Columbia last weekend for an official visit. And Jabari just couldn't stop raving about the visit out to Missouri. Missouri was in on Thursday to watch him throw, uh, just to confirm and wrap things up. And so he announced his commitment on Mother's Day, headed to the SEC to play. And, you know, that's now two quarterbacks out west in, in what is a really strong quarterback crop out west it's a top heavy quarterback class out west where you have you know two of the top five players in the country call the west home and then you have three of the top five quarterbacks in the country you still have Jaden rashada who is also looking strongly at the sec but this is kind of that, that sneaky, like you said, Blair, kind of that, that sneaky SEC pickup in that this is a guy that a lot of people thought was going to eventually end up staying in the Pac-12 program. We had originally put in a crystal ball for him for Utah. Matt Coward actually beaten him to the punch, took an unofficial visit and committed to the youth. Washington had offered Jabari back in January and he had gone to a couple of spring practices. Some signs were pointing towards the Huskies getting him, but then that visit to Missouri kind of changed everything. It actually, it was the the offer from Missouri that kind of started to change everything and started to show him that, hey, you know, maybe that opportunity to play in the SEC can be realized. So he went out there, took that official, didn't wait much longer. A week later, he is now committed to play in the SEC. Pac-12 now has seen two quarterbacks in the Pac-12 footprint and really in the backyard of a couple of Pac-12 schools now lead with uh, Jabari joining Nico Yamaliyava at Tennessee uh, in the SEC.
1: For me, I, I've seen Jabari Johnson a couple times in 7-on-7. Seven seven. You've obviously been very close in, in, in following him throughout his high school years. And something that really stouts me is just, I think, how quick his release is and how accurate he is to all levels of the field. And, and that's what you need right now, especially at the quarterback position. You need to be able to be quick making decisions. You have to be able to get the ball out quickly with the emergence of, of edge rushers and the ability to get after the quarterback. Um, and he's light on his feet. He, you know, I live. I said earlier six feet 200 pounds so he doesn't look I guess super athletic but I think he is super athletic like that's he's kind of like a deceivingly uh, athletic quarterback is there anything that you're going to be looking for before he heads off to Missouri in terms of his development or in terms of what you want to see him take kind of that next step
0: Yeah, you know, I think when you look at a lot of these quarterbacks, they play for kind of superpower teams. They've got weapons all around them. And, you know, Jabari doesn't really necessarily have elite weapons around him. Yes, he's got a five-star teammate in Jaden Wayne who plays tight end, but he's a five-star fast rusher. So, you know, there's times where Jabari... Has to make plays. I was at a game his sophomore year during the spring shortened season, where he went 98 yards in less than two minutes to win a game, threw a touchdown pass, and then got the two point conversion with one second left on the clock. Where you know he just realized, hey, I got to win this game, and so I'll, I'm looking at him to maybe be a little bit more reliant on his weapons. I know that there's sometimes when you're a quarterback, if you don't feel like your weapons around you can make plays, you decide that you want to tuck it and run. And, you know, interestingly enough, he didn't throw his first interception after he threw one in the first game of the season, didn't throw another one until the playoffs. So he went through pretty much the entire regular season. He's a smart decision maker. He doesn't make a lot of risky throws. But he does have a tendency at times where if the play maybe breaks down, you know, we, we look at a guy like a Bryce Young who continues to stay in the pocket and wait till a receiver gets open. Jabari sometimes does have a tendency to just want to tuck it in and run and make the play with his feet if he doesn't perceive the possibility of the play being made by a teammate. So I think as he gets older and as he gets more experienced, and again, you know, his sophomore year, he only played the six spring games. So there wasn't like a true sophomore season with spring football going into it, where, you you know, a lot of these habits you develop early on, you don't have an opportunity to kind of iron out the case. And so I think he just needs to trust his team. I think he needs to trust his weapons and trust that those guys are going to be able to make plays just like he can. And I think as he does that, he, you know, the potential there is much higher because now he can let his arm, which is a strong arm, start to do the work instead of expecting it all to happen by using his feet.
1: I think you have to like what Missouri is doing here uh, they had a really good recruiting class a couple years ago um, and, and they've been really I think rising the national uh, rankings uh, ever since coach Eli Drinkwitz did get there and, and I think he has a set mentality and, and, and a mindset of what he wants out of every recruiting class uh, so Jabari Johnson gives them uh, right now obviously a, a quarterback that can you know kind of give them some juice and, and give them some momentum heading into the summer they have another four star in this class in, in Bretton North Fleet, a, a tight end from the state of Missouri, so uh, Jabari Johnson giving Missouri some some momentum. Speaking of momentum, Huff, let's shift gears over to UCLA, and the reason why we wanted to, d- to discuss the Bruins uh, was the fact that they for, for once, I believe, or for the first time, under Chip Kelly began to host official visits this past weekend. They had never yeah. hosted official visits in the spring or in the summer. They've always been waiting until the season or after the season heading into the spring evaluation period, and that's more of a, of, a, of an approach or a method to Chip Kelly and wants what he wants to accomplish. Uh, but we're beginning to maybe see a little change there in in mentality. And so, what was interesting to me about it is. UCLA is just coming off of a very successful NFL draft right they had six players drafted the most among any of the Pac-12 schools they're coming off of an eight and four season didn't get to play their bowl game down in San Diego due to a, a, a COVID outbreak within the team so they have some momentum on the field they have some momentum in terms of their development and NFL production the only thing that they've never really quite gotten momentum in is is in recruiting they did have a an early commitment here in this 2023 class from uh, Malachi Crawford, but he decided to back off of that pledge the four-star safety from Oxnard. And you know, I, I think they they obviously have, have been suffering from the Lincoln Riley effect, right? Like usually a lot of prospects are making their way out to LA for unofficial visits during the offseason uh to make it out to camps, to make it out to seven on sevens. And for the most part, UCLA has become a stop for some of these prospects. Well, now that that's usually the second stop or it's an afterthought stop, especially with Lincoln Riley now in L.A. So I'm curious if that maybe could be playing a role, maybe not purposely, but maybe I, I guess in, in in a very silent way where they need to realize that they need to kind of step on the gas a little bit more than they have in the past.
0: Well, I, I think that that is what's something that we see some staffs become reactionary and not in a negative way. A lot of staffs maybe do react because they perceive somebody else being strong. But I think, you know, you look at the the, the offseason attention that USC got. They were hitting the portal hard, too. But then they're going into the portal and getting into Caleb Williams and, you know, the Shane Lee's guys of high caliber and I think UCLA kind of thought maybe hey you know UFC can continue to recruit under Clay Helton they can recruit the high schools we'll go get the portal and get the guys that are college ready well now just across town you have guys that are doing well in the portal and in high school recruiting so you have to adjust and I think that you know we joked about at the beginning of the show about those halftime adjustments and about you know sometimes even though something might be working you might have to make some adjustments on the second drive or in the second half and I think we're seeing in year five of Chip Kelly maybe there of understanding that adjustments are mandatory that they that they're mandatory self-scouting wise that you're now seeing hey what's worked in the past may not work now so let's adjust and be ready for kind of the next wave of how we do things because that's what you need at a ucla where you are slightly trending upwards year after year To now say, okay, there's an extended contract. You have some new assistant coaches. You have a new defensive coordinator. You know, you have uh, other assistant coaches that are coming in that have good recruiting chops. I mean, it's no coincidence that since Ken Ken Norton Jr. got to UCLA, their linebacker recruiting has improved. Where they went from having one linebacker with an offer to a number of linebackers with an offer. Sometimes it just takes that understanding and that self-awareness to say, we've got to adjust. Otherwise, we're going to be last.
1: Yeah, and, and our longtime listeners, even dating back to the early days of the What's the Rest podcast, understand uh that UCLA has a different approach, right? They're not going to follow that blueprint that you and I discussed earlier where we're just going to go. Very basic on the way we do things. They are very meticulous in how they scout and how they evaluate the measurements that they take uh, of prospects when they get on campus. I think is very unique. They are projecting on upside. They could care less about star rankings. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a different world that Chip Kelly is, is undergoing with recruiting specifically at UCLA and they were able to get a commitment out of this weekend. So, you know, maybe they look at that and they say, oh, you know, maybe if we do continue to bring in some prospects and maybe build a little bit of momentum and get some early commitments heading into the season, uh, and then... That focus for them in terms of the transfer portal is always going to be there. So I think they'll be able to save some spots and, uh, you know, we'll see. I I think that's, we talk fascinating uh, quite a bit here on this podcast. and, And that's one thing I'm really intrigued, uh, whether or not UCLA changes anything or stays the path, uh, now that, that Lincoln Riley is in Los Angeles and, and trying to kind of, you know, flip flip the script in, in a sense. Um, very interesting. So Ty Lee committed, um, and that's a prospect out of St. John Bosco, a hard-hitting safety, and uh, you know one that I think could give them um, some, some nice momentum heading into the summer. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to discuss the Avery Strong, the second annual Team Pala and Team OFA lineman challenge in Salt Lake City. You are listening to the West of the Rest podcast.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We are back on the
1: 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, West of the Rest Edition, every Monday, except last week, Huff. Uh, we uh, we were both traveling. I, I was out at Elite 11 with, with the one and only Greg Biggins, so we didn't have a Monday edition of this show last week. But we are back. We're back from Utah. And what a weekend it was, Huff. I mean, top class, first class, they do a great job in Salt Lake City of really showing us kind of the rolling out the red carpet in a sense, right? Showing us the talent in and around the the, the big city there in Utah. And I thought it was well done uh, for the second year in a row. And, and I'm already kind of counting the days until we get back there next year. No doubt.
0: It was always, it, you know, it, it's always a fun event. I mean, I said it always, even though it's only been two years, but it feels like it's been something we've been doing every year. Just the, the, the professional that the organization who runs the event, Team Fala and Team Alpha put together, the lineman challenge is always... It it comes at the perfect time of the day when you have the lull of uh, pool play in the morning and then you have the lineman just come out here and get after it, you wrap it up with some pretty exciting seven on it makes for a great day and an opportunity like you said to see so many of the best players in utah but then players from idaho oregon and even northern california were there this year
1: yeah and the media day on friday is i think the real clincher for us you know we are in the recruiting news business and the recruiting buzz business and it's always great to be in one place and have the players kind of roll in and and offer their takes or their opinions or give you insight into their recruitments and there were a lot of high quality prospects that we were able to catch up with. And let's start with the number one player in the state of Utah in this class, originally from the state of Hawaii, Tausili Akana, one of the better edge rushers in the country who has over 40 scholarship offers and able to discuss his recruitment a little bit here and there. And I mean, this is a player who doesn't appear to be in a rush to make a decision, but is getting a feel for a lot of these coaches, a lot of these schools. And there's an interesting wrinkle because his sister, who was a volleyball player at Nebraska, just entered the transfer portal recently. She took an official visit to BYU. Last week, uh, so there's some buzz there that Tausilia Khanna could be trending to BYU. It sounds like Texas is also heavily involved with the sister and, and he has vi- visited the Longhorns on the football side of things too. So, you know, in the days of the transfer portal, it, it's very interesting to kind of follow recruitments like this, but I, I really like where Oklahoma sits with Tausilia Khanna. I think he has a really good relationship with Brent Benables. I really like where Oregon sits with Tausilia Khanna. He loves the, the defensive mindset, coach. Lanning, Coach Tuioti, Coach Tosh Lupoi. I mean, he mentioned all them by name and said that he can't wait to get back out there again. And don't sleep on UCLA. He made it out there last year. He's going to make it back out there this year to meet with some of the new, uh, or this weekend, I mean, uh, to meet up with the new coaches. And he will also visit with uh, USC this coming weekend, Huff, and and check out what Lincoln Riley has in store for him.
0: I think with him too, you know, the other kind of ace in the hole when you, when you mentioned his sister is that the opportunity that, you know, Tassili has already left. Hawaii. You know, he played there his first year. I want to say Kamehameha High School, and then moved to Utah where he played at what, Wasatch his sophomore season. Um, yes, yes. We, so he
1: went from Kamehameha uh, as a freshman, played at Wasatch as a sophomore, and and then made the move over to Sky Ridge in Lehigh for, for this last couple of seasons.
0: So he's already left home once to be able to play football with the Hawaii season in 2020, the pandemic, uh, wiping out the Hawaii football season. He needed to move to Utah. So So he's already been away from home. And, you know, that's something you and I have talked about on West for the rest, that West Coast guys always seem to be willing – to move away from home, maybe more than other states. But this is a guy who's already done it. And he didn't go to IMG like a lot of the West Coast kids that do leave the region. In high school, they maybe make that move over to IMG. He made the move to Utah where he had some familiar faces. He had some family. But he already kind of made that move away from home at the age of 15. So this is a guy that I think when it comes to making his college decision, you know, staying in the Pac-12 footprint isn't necessarily going to be a requirement for him. He's already made the move away from home. Want. and so that's why when you talk about some of these national programs that is something that certainly gives them a little bit of an advantage but then you mentioned his sister going into the portal and maybe going to byu as, as an option having some other schools there's maybe that opportunity we, we don't you don't talk about the, the the package deals with family as much when they it's a brother and a sister. Maybe it's an older brother and a younger brother wanting to play together in college. But we've already seen it once with basketball. And, you know, Jaime Jacques from UCLA decided to return for his senior year despite having the opportunity to go to the NBA because his younger sister, Gabriella, is going to be a freshman at UCLA and they wanted the opportunity to go to school together for years. So now we might see it in two different sports, but potentially a transfer portal decision in women's volleyball having an effect on a football player. So, you know, We've been so used to package deals with, you know, a brother and a brother decide to play together, a brother and a cousin, two cousins playing together, but... Hey, maybe, you know, everything in college sports seems to be groundbreaking these days. Maybe this is that rare, hey, we got a volleyball player and a football player in the process.
1: Speaking of family connections, the other prospect that I did want to get into is Spencer Fano. He's the number one offensive lineman on the West Coast. His brother, Logan Fano, is is at BYU. He was a former four-star uh, edge rusher uh, a couple a couple cycles ago. And, and Fano just took on official visits to Michigan and Michigan State. Really liked what he saw at both camps. On back-to-back days, he he mentioned Coach Harbaugh and Coach Mel Tucker and and kind of their ability to to sell their vision for him. And now he's beginning to sort through some possible official visits. And and Huff, the only one that he knows he's going to take this summer, at, at least early on, is, is to Utah. And. You know, for a player who just saw his brother go to BYU with the momentum that BYU has with Kalani Sataki and going to the Big 12 and developing NFL draft picks, uh, and for him to, you know, have one official visit set and that to be up, up the, you know, up the highway in a sense to, to Utah, which is coming off a Pac 12 championship. It's pretty notable. So I'm, I'm really interested to kind of read the comments when I post this story on the message boards later today, <laughs> you know, between the fans and i might just make it a community thread just for my own amusement
0: it, it's one of those where you kind of just decided you want to drop a little bit of a uh, what do they call those uh gas gas cans where you just let it kind of explode and then just fit I, i'm reminded of the meme of the little girl on the swing with the little kind of sly smile as the house is exactly burning down
1: that's exactly <laughs> it yeah, it, yeah. But, and, you
0: know, they, they both get along so well. It's kind of like when, I, when there's an Oregon and Washington recruit. Everybody handles it really well, and there's no reason to think there's going to be 9,743 comments on it.
1: Yeah. And while well, I was speaking with Logan Fano, uh, during the seven on seven portion on, on Saturday, uh, about it a little bit, right? Like, you know, what would it be like if your brother ended up going to Utah? You guys had to match up at some point edge rusher versus the offensive tackle. We've seen it so many times before. I'm sure they've practiced a, a bunch of times and that's how they, I think they've gotten better, right? Going up against each other. Uh, he just kind of smiled, shook his head and said, that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, really funny. I, I think he's recruiting him as hard as anyone on that BYU staff to, to have his brother join him. But, you know, don't sleep on Oregon either. Uh, this is a program where I had him pegged going to early on in his recruitment, despite the presence of Logan over at BYU. Uh, I, I really like the job that Mario Cristobal had been doing and, and Alex Mirabal. And, you know, since they left, I switched it over to BYU. But now I feel like the Ducks have a real, real good shot with Adrian Clem and his personality and the fact that he coached the, the last big-time offensive line and that came out of View in Provo. Um, I know they're set to take an unofficial visit up there in a couple weeks. So Oregon could be making noise. I really like the direction that they're going in in terms of their recruiting. I don't think they're backing down from any battles despite just joining the the races, I guess.
0: I think that that's going to be really fascinating because, like you said, you did have Oregon in the lead. Now you have Mario Cristobal, Alex Nerval at Miami, but Oregon not losing really any traction because, you know, Spencer does, is fond of Xavier Sufield That is one of his favorite players. And then the guy who developed him in college and allowed him to play in the NFL for as long as he has, Agent Clem. Now they're at Oregon. We know that Clem was in Oregon last week talking to Spencer. Uh, I think he came through on Friday before he was at media day. So it's clear that there's still a a preference for Oregon to get Spencer Fano coming on the heels of landing the number one lineman in the country in Josh Connelly. Now they're going after one of the premier linemen in the country in the 2023 class. In Spencer Fano, there's a track record of getting players out of the backyards of of Power Five schools and going to Oregon. This is going to be a fascinating battle to watch because if there's one state school that's really given the University of Utah fits inside their own state. In with with top recruits it's been Oregon
1: yeah yeah and you know I think there's a delay here as well because Spencer fano does intend to take a, a two-year church mission and you know it doesn't make make him try to feel like he needs to make a decision right away he can kind of play things out and figure things out as he goes uh but it's still gonna be one of the more I think heated recruiting battles that we experience out west so Spencer fano number one offensive lineman you can read all about his recruitment over at 24 7 sports Huff before we go. I wanted you to give us a word and give our listeners kind of a word about the Avery Strong Foundation and kind of where they can get a bit more familiar with with um, that that foundation and how they could help.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, Blair. So the Avery Huffman VIPG Foundation was established by my wife Amanda and I six years ago. In fact, this last weekend uh, we established it shortly after our daughter Avery passed away of VIPG, which is a terminal brain cancer. That affects just 250 young people a year in the United States. She battled for seven months and passed away in February 2016. So we started the foundation in 2016, shortly after her, after she passed away, we had, we donated her tumor for research. It's been shared with hospitals around the world on four different continents all over the U.S. And there's a number of events for people to say, Hey, how can we get involved? They, they do events, basically plaster Avery's name and picture everywhere and donate a portion of those events to our foundation in which our foundation funds researchers all around the world, specifically researchers targeting this particular cancer. And in six years, we've raised nearly a million dollars as a foundation and every cent has gone towards research and funding of the, the doctors and the researchers trying to find a cure for this monster. It's brain tumor awareness month in the month of May. Uh, there's no better time to, to get involved in join in that fight. You can find out more about it on our website, AveryStrongDIPG.org. Any of our social media channels at AveryStrongDIPG. You can go to my Twitter at Brandon Huffman, and there's a link to it on there as well. Uh, But join us in that fight as we fight back to give these kids an opportunity that that gets taken from them with this terminal upon diagnosis, brain cancer, and give hope to families that someday there will be a cure.
1: Yeah. And we're going to continue to, to fight for that cure. So thank you, Huff, for, for sharing that story. And, and, and all, like I said, our listeners can now hopefully get involved as well. So yeah, that'll do it for us. Uh, a great weekend out in Utah. Hope everyone had a good and great Mother's Day weekend as well. You can catch us next week here on the West of the Rest podcast over Brandon Huffman and our producer, Lance William. And I am and Blair and Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the West of the Rest podcast.